0: So, Flannery O'Connor, writer uh, from this last century, she said, um, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. (laughs) Heard that one before? Um, We're people of the book. Now, I don't presume that everybody sitting in this room today would consider themselves to be a person of the book. By that, I mean the Bible. Um, And that's great. We want to cultivate an environment where people can be here to explore their beliefs, disagree, disagree, have conversations, that's really important to us. But We do come from a particular perspective, and that perspective, in one way, is that we're people of the book. And being a person of the book, being the people of the book, the Bible, makes us odd sometimes. Anybody ever experienced that sense that you're odd because you've chosen to align yourself with this book that so many people see as being archaic and old and and filled with things that are very uncertain Um, And here you are actually using it as a source of your life. And so sometimes you feel odd as a result of that. Now, there's there's, um, kind of a storyline about what's happened in our kind of modern, Western, increasingly secular environment. And that is that, you know, we have, as one author says, that we have shed or sloughed off or been liberated from, kind of the old uh, archaic ways of thinking, and you can read into that one portion of that is a belief in the things of Scripture. And sometimes you wonder, did did those of us who are Christians somehow miss the memo, right? Because we keep going back to this book as a source of life and insight and guidance. And, And this is what I want to dig into in the time we have together this morning. Why? Why do we keep going back to this book? What is it about this book? Why is it so important? You know, in the next season, we we kind of did a foray into this last week. We addressed the topic of politics, which is it's great that you're all here again this week. I'm really excited that you decided to come back after we did that. If you didn't hear it, um, I might hesitantly suggest that you go online and listen to it. Uh, but it seemed like you know it opened up a hard conversation that was in the end really good. And so oftentimes is the case, when we do that within a gospel framework, we actually see the goodness of God in a deeper way, in a more profound way. We want to do that with with a lot of the hard topics that we're grappling with in society and life today. Um, But in order to do that well, uh, the first thing, and I'm so glad that the scripture we're reading leads us to this, is we've got to understand kind of where is our source of authority? What what is the role of the Bible in that process? So would you open up to Acts 17? If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. You could probably pull it up on your phone or there is a Bible in the chair right in front of you. And we want you to use that Bible. And if you want to take that Bible home with you, uh, feel free to do that. We'd love for you to, to have that on your nightstand, maybe later in the week. You're wondering about something that was said and you want to look up a verse that would be great. So please feel free to take that Bible with you. Um, It's on page 871 in that Bible. We're back in the book of Acts. We started last week. That's what sort of got us into the conversation of politics. Um, The storyline in the book of Acts right here is that Paul and Silas and others are planting churches uh, around what's now probably uh, Greece. uh, And Um, In that process, there's some reactions by certain people, and we're sort of using that dynamic for us to think about our own um, pursuit of God. In the last one, if you were here last week, you'll remember that they planted a church in Thessalonica, and the people, they only let them be there for like four weeks, and then the people chased them out because they didn't like what they were saying, certain ones. But even in the midst of that, a bunch of them in Thessalonica came to faith in Jesus Christ, and started a church. So, so much so that later on, we find in the New Testament, Paul writing a letter back to Thessalonica and, 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 and blessed by how, how strong the church is there, which is amazing to me. They were only there four weeks, and this movement of God started in that place. So they get chased out of Thessalonica, and we pick up the story. They're going to the next town, which is Berea. And the people in Berea are going to have a different response, uh, and that's what we're going to jump off of To think about the scripture. So in verse 10. We read. The brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So the the ones who came out with clubs and chased them out of town. Were in Thessalonica. But these ones were uh, Luke says. He's the writer of the book of Acts. More noble. And that word noble means uh, could mean like open-minded, thoughtful, fair-minded. So, whereas in Thessalonica, there was a group of them that just responded in anger, thoughtlessly, emotional reaction. These Jews in the synagogue in Berea were more thoughtful, open-minded, pondering, considering what Paul was saying. Verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word... With all eagerness, if you're underlining things in your Bible, underline the word eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily, underline the word examining, to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that Luke has called out the role of women in the establishing of the church in Thessalonica, and now again in Berea. And this is a theme in Luke. He calls out over and again. In fact, it's a theme with Jesus all throughout the New Testament, the role that the women also have in the establishing of the churches. And I'll just lob that out there. We are continuing on this process of figuring out what it means to see, um, to honor, and to empower the women of our congregation. Very important. It's biblical. And it is part of the two texts that we're reading. And you'll be hearing more uh, about that in the next little while. But I wanted to flag that because it is in our scripture. Verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And that's our text. And I thought, as I started this week, I thought, this is great. There's only five verses. We'll be able to cover this, and we'll get on to the next passage. And about halfway through the week, I realized there's no way I can cover all this in one Sunday. So this keeps happening to me, but I'm just going with it. We're going to spend two weeks on this passage. Uh, This first week we're going to spend on that word noble and then the next week we're going to spend on eagerness and examining if you want to break it down that way in the text Um, and we're going to build a foundation for why it is that we're people of the book Uh, and so I want to talk to you today about this noble what I'm calling a noble approach to scripture a noble approach to scripture there it is right up there so um, Paul interestingly Right, the Apostle Paul, the famous, wonderful, amazing Apostle Paul in this process is by the Berean Jews held up to Scripture. In other words, it's not that Paul comes in town and says, this is the way it is. It's that Paul comes into the town and he says, this is what Scripture says. And then the Bereans go and they look up the Scripture to see if what he says really aligns with God's word. That's a very important dynamic right at the core of what's happening here. Because what it says to us is that for them, the Scripture is the authority. The Scripture is the authority. And that's really the point that I want to kind of wrestle with today together. Um, And Luke affirms it because he says of the way that they handle Scripture and the coming of Paul and his teaching and proclamation of the gospel the, Berean, the Luke, excuse me, says of the Bereans that they're noble. In other words, he's commending this approach to us, say that we ought to be the same kind of evil, that when somebody says something that purports to be of God, that we dig into the scriptures to decide whether it's so. Let's see if it's so. You should be doing that with me right now. Let's see if it's so. Anybody who's up here in this pulpit, you should be asking the question Paul, Luke is suggesting just like the Breans, let's dig in the Scriptures and see if it's so. Now, how would this have worked out? You're probably imagining what did this, what did this kind of look like. Well, Paul would have come into town, and we, we've got stories of this already that we've looked at in the book of Acts. In chapter 13, he comes into town, and he starts talking to them about Psalm 2. You remember last week, we looked at Psalm 2 as a way of talking about uh, politics. And so uh, he comes into town, he starts talking about Psalm 2, And then he says, the king that's being described in Psalm 2 is greater than what David ended up becoming. So we're still waiting for the greater king to come, and Jesus is that king. That's how Paul went about teaching. He he used the scriptures, and then from the scriptures, he drew the line to the Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ. And so then in this Case We did not know exactly what Paul was teaching in this moment. We're not told by Luke. But they would have then gone back to Psalm 2, dug into the scripture and said, is it really true that David didn't fulfill the prophecy of Psalm 2, that we're still waiting for somebody greater? Oh, yes, it's true. And so that's what the process would have looked like of them examining eagerly the scriptures to see if what Paul said was actually true. And they were doing this because um, it was their worldview that the Jews in the synagogue in the town of Berea, as it would have been the case in all the towns, had this view that there is a thing called scripture. And that thing called scripture is the word, it's writing that is the word of God, it's authoritative. And it's the very voice, the the very teaching, the very instruction of God. That's what Scripture would have meant. It was like a, a technical term, right? When you're talking about Scripture, you're talking about the Word of God, which is authoritative and true. And that was the context that Jesus and Paul were ministering in and out of was this understanding that Scripture is the Word of God. Now, there are so many passages in the Old Testament. And by the way, after today and, and next week, I would love to kind of re-rack and go through the Gospel Academy course that we have around the Bible. We have a five-course uh, session around the Bible where we look into how the Bible came together, the whole in 45 minutes, we do the whole overarching. Uh, storyline of the Bible. Um, we look at how you in, you read the Bible, how you interpret the Bible, the different genres within the scripture, all those questions that you might have had. So I just want to throw out, if there's anybody who's interested in that, let me know or shoot us an email. Um, if we could just get, you know, even three people who are interested would love to, to do another version of that Gospel Academy class that's called Bible. Um, because we don't have time to go into all the wonderful scriptures that talk about the scripture, uh, right now. But let me call out a few. And so going back to Isaiah, so this is, this is the old, an Old Testament one, Isaiah 66, and I'll put it up on the screen here. Verses 1 and 2, uh, we read this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and just even the concept of God saying it like that, uh, and then we have the quotes. So it was understanding, this is, this is the word of God. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. So God made everything, He's over it all. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Lots of different passages we could look at for the Old Testament view of Scripture, but I love that one because not only does it give you an understanding of the authority of the Word of God, but also the posture with which the Jewish people were approaching the Word of God, that they believed that one should come to it as one who trembles, one who's humble, and one who's submissive to this incredible gift, which is is the communication of God to human beings. So that's the Old Testament context. Uh, But then if we move into the New Testament, we see that Jesus affirms the same view. In chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 4, Jesus is amazingly having this, this interaction with um, the devil who is trying to tempt Jesus to become something other than what, what God had intended. And at and in each case, what Jesus does to, to ward off his enemy is to quote scripture. And at the outset, he describes the dynamic of how that works. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then passing over into the next chapter, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which would have been a way of talking about Scripture, okay? The Old Testament law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, so not even a full letter, letter, the smallest part of a letter, not even the smallest part of a letter in Hebrew uh, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And so, so Jesus comes on the scene right here in the beginning of the book of Matthew, and he's affirming this very strong, very high view of Scripture as being the Word of God, and that not one iota or dot will pass away until all of it is accomplished. We can move forward into the rest of the New Testament, and 2 Timothy 3.16, this is one of Paul's writings, and he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's powerful. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And we don't have time to even really go into that. But this idea that, that Scripture is breathed out by God. God doesn't breathe out falsehoods. He only breathes, breathes out truth. Uh, and so what we, what we understand that's being said there is that this Scripture is trustworthy. It's authoritative. It is the Word of God. And then 2 Peter three sixteen. So if you want to know the New Testament, Testament passages on the scripture, just remember 3.16, because it's both 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 3.16. Let me back up a little bit into verse 15. Peter writes, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And you can see it up here. Uh, There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Isn't that great? That Peter, the apostle, found Paul hard to understand? That should make you feel a little better when you're struggling through one of the epistles. Um, But here's the part I want you to focus in on. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So with that whole background of it being sort of a technical term, you've got Peter, the apostle, calling the writings of Paul scripture right here in the text. So you see another continuation, the affirmation of the, the scriptures that we now currently have, and again, if you want to know how they come together, tell, talk to me. We're going to have the Gospel Academy on it. Um, but what you what you have in that is the affirmation that this is, in fact, the Word of God. Now, that is a belief posture that we we take um, towards this book, this Bible. Um, but I know we, we're in a place that's fairly intellectual, and I know many of you are inquisitive types, and you're constantly in conversation with people who are inquisitive and maybe people who don't agree with you on what the scripture is. And so there's an element in which a part of this where it's important for us to at least know what some of those conversations are, right? Um, It's really hard, and you've probably experienced this, to get all the way just, you know, on the basis of a really good rational argument. And there's going to be a faith component involved. Now, it's, it's not an irrational faith. It's not a blind faith. I don't really subscribe to that phrase. It's a reasoned faith. But at the end of the day, there is going to be a faith component to our taking the stance that the Bible is the Word of God. And we do need to enter into the intellectual conversation. And and so uh, some of us are going to be more more interested in that. Um, I've had seasons in my life where I felt like this has been a big part of my journey to enter into that conversation of course, I, uh, I was a lit major uh, in college, and so I was exposed to a type of thinking called deconstructionism, which is at the root of a lot of the conversations you're probably having with people who are not, people who don't see the Word of God as being the Word of God, um, because deconstructionism seeks to kind of pick apart um, the text and to then bring it back and say, see, it's, it's a mess. It's, it's uh, something that we can't, we can't trust in. So I was, I was steeped in that. In my undergraduate, I was studying Michel Foucault and uh, Jacques Derrida. In fact, in fact, Jacques Derrida came to UC Santa Barbara when I was there studying. And it was amazing. This famous French philosopher was there. And I, got, I went to the lecture. And I sat right in the front, really close to him, got to see him. Didn't understand a word he said. But it was great. I was there. Um, and I don't think anybody else understood either. About 800 people all walked away very confused, but still in awe somehow. Somebody understood and said it was really good, I'm sure. Um, but, but, you know, it's good to know this stuff, and we've got to grapple with it. And, and there are good answers to the hard questions, the deconstructionist questions. I recently this week bought a book for Ryan Julius, who's our pastoral intern. And uh, it's about 400 pages or so, and it looks at all the supposed contradictions in the New Testament. And so we're working through to talk through, like, how do you process some of this? And sometimes it's not like, well, here's the answer. It's like, well, there's some multiple possible answers. And just the fact that there is a possible answer means that we don't have to believe that there's a, a contradiction in it. So this, this work is good. More recently, I have been trying to really dive into, you know, um, secularity and the rise of secularity, in, especially in the West. And what does that mean for us? How do we think through the dynamics there? Uh, some really important questions associated with that. So uh, trying to be versant in all of that. Um, and I love that. I'm, I have a geeky, nerdy side that just that loves that process. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, here's how I would say, here's how I come to this odd belief that this is with respect to our culture. I don't think it's odd once we really get it. Odd to our culture belief that the Word of God is, in fact, of God, that it's authoritative. Um, Here's how I come to it. At some point in my life, and and I did a lot of searching, especially during during that time in college, um, I just couldn't shake anymore the person of Jesus Christ. There's something so wonderful and glorious and unique about the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody's ever thought of the thing that Jesus should have said, right? He's the most amazing teacher that there ever was. He, he looms over all of history with this incredible influence. Um, even people who wouldn't consider th- themselves to be Christians have a, a fondness for Jesus. There's something about Jesus that is amazing and wonderful and glorious and good and, and sort of unshakable. And when I began to just kind of take that initial faith step, okay, I'm going to start to follow Jesus. Uh, what I learned is, is that Jesus has a particular view on Scripture. And if I'm really going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to listen to Jesus, if I'm going to let Jesus shape the way I think, then maybe I ought to adopt that same posture towards Scripture. And the posture that Jesus has towards Scripture is that he believes Scripture to be, and I've already read the the text about this, the Word of God. He, He accepts and even submits himself to the authoritative Word of God say that I am not against it. I am fulfilling it. And for me. That is the most powerful argument. This is the Jesus. Who described himself as. The way. The truth. And the life. One of the things we need to understand. As we come to the Bible. Is that at the end of the day. Truth is not ultimately. A proposition. An idea. Truth is a person, the God of the universe who has disclosed himself to us in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the center of all truth. And the Bible gives testimony to the truth that is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life. And, and in that, it gives us the way. It gives us the truth. It gives us the life. But at the end of the day, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. And the Bible gives us direction and guidance in knowing Jesus and worshiping Jesus. I'm going to stop there. That is the foundational part. What I want to get into in the little bit of time that we have is what does this mean for us? The The authority of the word of God, what does it mean for us as we go and live our daily lives, uh, jostled to and fro by all the deluge of information that comes crashing in and upon us every single day through all the different forms of media that we are subject to? Do you know that we we take in is estimated about 100,000 words in an average day? 100,000. Now, the New Testament is 185,000 words long. So you take in the equivalent of the New Testament in less than than two days. And this goes on and on. This information comes into us. And somehow we've got to sort through, what does it mean that the the Bible is authoritative, that it's the Word of God? What does it mean for that whole process? And so I want to dig into that with you just a little bit um, this morning. You've got a sheet on your chair that will help you, I think, or really confuse you. I'm not sure which. Um, Let's talk first about the types of information that we take in. We take in, and we're going to put this up on the the slide, so we put the first one. We're taking in all the time different kinds of information, data. uh, So, you know, there was a debate this last week. That's just information. We're taking in information that's interpretive in nature, There was a lot of interruptions in the debate, so therefore it was a heated debate, okay? Talking about the the political, democratic political debate this last week. Uh, But then we're taking in opinions, you know? So-and-so won this particular debate. And then we take in advice all around uh, in our our experience with the information that comes in. You should, an example, you should vote for so-and-so, right? There's all different types of information. This is not exhaustive. But as we think about the complexity of the taking in of information, we need to be aware of the different kinds of information that we're taking in. But not only is it a type of information that's varied, it's also the source of the information. Some of the information that we take in comes from sources that are hostile to Christianity. In other words, they have a different view than than what the Bible would propound. Uh, Some of the source of information is neutral. Okay? Some of the source of information would be in the category of what I would say quasi Christian. And let me define what I mean. This is just my own definition. What I'm calling quasi Christian is it says that it's Christian information, but the source, the author or authors, has let go or denied some of the orthodox components of the faith. Um, this is a really important category. There's a lot of writing and books, um, all kinds of information that comes from what you might say is a quasi-Christian source. And then there's what we could call a Christian source. This is somebody or some group of people that intends to be faithful to the Word of God and the orthodox teaching of the faith. Though we always have to be careful because, just like the Bereans with Paul, we always have to ask the question, is it it really so? Okay, Is it really so? So none of these can you just take for granted that everything that they say would align with the Word of God, with the Scripture teaching. Now here's where it gets a little complex. Let me just park on the quasi-Christian and the Christian for a little bit. Um, Some of you may think, well, I always want to just toss out the quasi-Christian source Um, because I don't ever want to be, and there's a good warning there, right? We have to be careful when we're reading something that is being written by somebody who doesn't actually agree with all of the teachings of the Scripture, because if we're not aware of that, our guard can come down, and things can get slipped in that aren't actually accurate. Uh, And so there is a good warning there. But then there's another side to the issue, and that is this that that even within the Christian category we n- we never get it all right, and many times what happens within the quasi christian as i 'm calling it here category is somebody 's responding to an imbalance within the more orthodox kind of uh, context, and they 're responding to that imbalance by by seeking to correct it, but in the process of correcting end up overcorrecting or letting go of some of the important truths. So so let me give you an example. Some of you may remember that within the last uh, 20 years or so, there was this movement um, called the Emergent Church. And the Emergent Church was a reaction to something that was happening in the Orthodox Christian realm that was maybe a little out of balance. What the Emergent Church wanted to do was to do a better job of communicating the things of the faith to people who didn't know about God or didn't know about the teachings of the Bible or were far from God in in, in whatever kind of way. And so it was a healthy corrective in the sense that many within a more traditional Christian context had lost sight of what it means to relate to those who don't have experience of Christianity. But what happened in the process of doing that with the emergent church is that they continued to to elevate the value of relevancy such that they began to let go of some of the orthodox components of the faith. Relevancy became more important than theological accuracy or or clarity or truth. Now, the emergent movement is basically dead and gone because of that fact, because they let go of the, the orthodox tenets of the faith. And while it was something to be warned of, perhaps, it was also something to pay attention to because it was pointing out a needed corrective in the more orthodox context. This is the level of complexity that we're dealing with when we talk about information coming in. I could give you more examples if I had more time, but we need to move on. Um, We can't just toss everything out. Uh, In fact, what we want to ask is faithfulness of the information that we're receiving to the Word of God. So some information we take in contradicts the last one. Some is uncertain. Some is neutral. And some of the information that we take in is is exactly faithful. Now, here's where it starts to get complex. You could have somebody hostile to Christianity say something or write something that is actually faithful to the Word of God, right? You could have somebody, a source that proposes that that says it's Christian say something that actually contradicts the Word of God, right? There's all kinds of complexity in this process. Let me just kind of show you the complexity. Next slide. Next slide. Okay, next slide. Next slide. Keep going. And the next one, right? This is the information process. Next slide. As it comes in, it's, going, it's being filtered through all this complexity. Next slide. Next slide. Okay. There it is. That's your job in the moment, day by day, is, as 100,000 words come at you, to process all that and consider what aligns with the Word of God and what, what doesn't align with the Word of God. Does that seem overwhelming to you? And that's probably not even a very good chart. I just sort of, you know, there's a lot of things missing on that. Yes, it's overwhelming. So, so we've got to have a different approach to discerning what is the Word of God. And let me finish with this. In your handout, it will say, How to Grow in Discernment. The first one is to soak in the Word of God. We, the Bible talks about the Word of God in ways that are just so much beyond reading, okay? Like eating bread. You know, taking it in like a seed. That, there's just so many different ways the Bible talks about it. We, to really understand the Word of God is to soak in the Word of God. Some things that get soaked in other things, like over time, they really take on the trait of the thing that they're being soaked in. So, spaghetti. I have discovered that spaghetti is so much better on the second day than it is the first day. Because... The noodles have been soaking in the tomato sauce, and they've taken on board, you know, the complexity of the flavors. I'm really surprised to see some of you are shaking your head to that, um, which really destroys my illustration, so you'll need to think of a different one. Uh, but, but, but actually, this concept that when we steep, you know, maybe like tea bag, maybe that works for you, uh, in, you know, we, when we take on board the qualities and the flavors of that's, what God is wanting for us, okay? When we, when we come to the Word, to soak in it, to have it so infiltrate the cracks and crevices of our being that we really know it back and forth. The old illustration that was always used with respect to this was that when the Secret Service would learn how to identify a real dollar bill, they wouldn't go looking at the false dollar bills. They would spend all their time looking at an original, authentic dollar bill, because then they'd be able to spot the false one when it came along. And then um, Heather, who is, works in a hospital, and um, she uh, was talking to my wife, Jody and gave, shared this illustration. That as she's learning how to identify cells that are unhealthy, what they do is they have her look at all kinds of healthy cells so that she can identify one when it's not healthy. So when we start off... We have to say the, most, the best thing we can do is to become so familiar with the Word that we can just identify when something's amiss. But in that work, we're not left alone. It's not just a rational exercise. It's not a logical exercise. We also have this incredible gift, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Isn't this wonderful? The Bible teaches that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and if you're exploring the things of the faith, here's the most important thing. When we come to Jesus We need to be, we need to have our sins cleansed. We sang about this. And Jesus atones for our sin on the cross. We place our faith in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. It's like our temple, the temple of who we are, is cleansed. And now God does this amazing thing He takes up residence inside of us by His Holy Spirit. So we've got our own spirit, but then living next to us in us is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that breathed out. The words of God in the creation of Scripture. And so you've got a discerning sort of testing um, dynamic alive in you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, such that there may be moments when you're taking in information or reading a book or watching something, and there's something, a check in your spirit that says, something's not right here. And part of learning to discern what is aligned with the Word of God is learning to pay attention to the check in your spirit, the warning light of the Holy Spirit when it comes on to say there's something not right. Now, what we can do as people is we can run roughshod. Sometimes we say, you know, I don't want, that's uncomfortable uncomfortable for me to ask the question whether this really aligns with God. I don't want to be offensive to anybody. I don't want to do, you know, and so we can run roughshod over the Holy Spirit inside of us and ignore that check. And what I'm calling us to do is to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us and not to ignore when there is a a moment of hesitation because some information that you're taking in is not quite aligning with the Word. Maybe you don't make sense out of it in the moment, but something causes you to pause. So what do you do then? What do you do when you get a check in in your spirit? because of the Holy Spirit in you. Well, that takes you to the third one, which is to seek counsel. And you can seek counsel in so many ways. You can do reading. You know, you want to go back to the Word, of course, and ask the question, why did I feel uncomfortable about what that person was saying? Uh, And then you you want to, like, read and and research. But then you want to have conversations with others. This is why our Emmaus partnerships, little small groups that get together are so important, our home groups, you know, what we want to create in the home group is an environment where you could come and just say, you know, I read this thing today, and I'm not sure what to make of it. It's, we come to these relationships sometimes, and we feel like we have to have everything figured out. That's not what a church is. A church is not a place where you have everything figured out before you come, and then everybody just spouts off what they already know. It's a place of learning and growth and exploration around the Word of God with the Holy Spirit in community. And so we want to bring our questions to our home groups, to our places. I was so blessed this last week. I got to do office hours at Cafe Strada for our Cal students. It's the second time I've done it. It's so fun. We just sat there drinking good coffee, and the students just brought up issues and questions that they've been wrestling with. And so we, we roamed across all kinds of crazy topics. We talked about politics because of the sermon last week. But we also talked about um, the Old Testament and the history around the Old Testament. And we talked about some other issues that have come up in our sermons over the last while. And it was I walked away and said, you know what, I would spend the rest of my life doing that. Um, it's so important for us to be deep in that process of discernment and just trying to figure out what this beautiful gift of the Word of God would call us to. I've got to stop there. Um, we're going to pick this up next week and talk a little bit more about what it looks like to actually examine the scriptures. And what is it? Why are we sometimes not eager to do that? Eagerness, examination, those were on our text. We're going to talk about that next week. So come back and talk about that and learn about that with us. I want to finish just giving you this one verse from Jeremiah 15, 16. And Jeremiah was a man who struggled a lot. He suffered a lot. But he said this about the word of God and the importance of the word of God in his life. He said, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. And if you have attached yourself to Jesus Christ, uh, you bear the name. And these words of God are a gift to you. And they're not just to be skimmed over lightly. Jeremiah uses the metaphor of eating. When you take food in, It breaks apart in you, and it actually becomes part of you on some level. Uh, And that's the the image that he leaves us with as we think about this precious gift we've been given in the Scripture. To be able to take it in like that, and to have it break apart inside of us, and then begin to shape who we actually are. This is the blessing and the goodness and the gift of the Word of God. So Lord, would you help us as we eat your word, as we take it in, as we wrestle with it, as we grapple with it, as we try to make good decisions, as we learn how to discern better and better, and as we draw and drink from the blessing that your word is. And we never want to forget that the living word is Jesus himself, and it's in his name that we pray this, amen.